Welcome to Future Forecast, the podcast where we discuss leadership, technology, and sustainability with some of the most influential leaders and entrepreneurs from around the world. I'm your host, Isabel Ringness, and today we'll be talking about building a global brand out of Scandinavia and the genius behind the marketing mix powering it. We are live at the Klarna pop-up store in Oslo today, talking to David Sundström, one of Sweden's most notorious marketing executives. David became a CEO at the record low age of 29 at one of the world's leading ad agencies and has since made a solid mark on the ever so saturated marketing universe, heading Klarna's marketing efforts as CMO, including the stunt with the controversial rapper Snoop Dogg. David, thank you so much for joining the podcast. Thank you for having me. Just to start right at the top, you became CEO at 29. How did that happen? I think it's always a, it's a combination of luck and timing and even more luck. Don't (laughs) be so humble. No, but I I really think it is. I mean, when I finally accepted the role as CEO, I think I got the question two or three times and I turned it down the first couple of times because I just wasn't ready. But I mean, sometimes the timing's right, the team behind you is right, and finally I just accepted it. But it wasn't something I pursued. So it was really luck and timing, in my opinion. But if you were to give advice to Generation Z growing up right now, ready to scale up into the C-level position pretty fast would you just say luck and timing or would you have other advice no but i think the strongest advice i have is probably that you shouldn't focus too much on titles and positions like i i think that we're and i and we're seeing that internally as well people are very hung up with different titles and positions and and those who focus too much on that they fail and those who focus on actually creating kick-ass projects, enjoying themselves at work, working together with their teammates. I I think those are the people who succeed. So the more you focus on becoming a C-level, the less probability you have to become one, in my opinion. It's almost like in, in, in football. Like, you can't focus on scoring goals. You have to focus on your strategy and team tactics and stuff like that. And then a goal will fall out of that. But if you focus on scoring goals, like, it's, it's just not going to happen. Hmm. And on the note of kick-ass campaigns, following the smooth campaign that you did for Klarna, where you were still part of DDB Stockholm, you were swooped up by your client, Klarna, to take over as their CMO or chief marketing officer. And then look around in this store. You don't have to see a lot of Klarna to understand how different and distinct you are. Everything from your bright pink color to its vibe and the copy that you use, it's playful and it's different and it's the opposite of what you would consider a bank to be. And from the outside, I would imagine it takes a bit of bravery to dare to step outside the traditional banking box in this way. So what convinced you to take the lead of that? And what do you think other companies should learn from Klarna in your way of challenging the norm and creating a unique identity? Wow, (laughs) huge questions. But the first part, I often get asked the question, like, how can you be so brave as a company, not as a person, not very brave, (laughs) but as a company, how can you be so brave? But I personally don't think it's bravery. I mean, looking at the bigger picture of it, the financial industry is the most hated and most distrusted industry in the world. You see that in all the research that is being conducted, like by the, the big Facebook studies or Gartner studies or just the local studies that are being made. People don't like banks, they distrust banks, and they feel that they have been cheated by banks for ages and put them in a bad spot, personally. So, I mean, to break that vicious circle is not bravery, it's common sense. 
like if we operate in this kind of industry, it's common sense that we don't want to look like everyone else. The thing that people dislike is often portrayed and depicted by like bluish logos, older men in suits and ties, um, stock photo imagery of people shaking hands. Like that is what people dislike from a communication perspective. So in my opinion, what we're doing, it's kind of easy because it's just taking everything that they do and flip it. Like if they're blue, we're pink. If they're male, we're female. If they cheat people, we're honest. Like it's uh, it's simple <laughs> math. It's not bravery. It's uh, it's at the heart of it. It's just normal intelligence. Huh. I guess that's easy to say in hindsight, but yeah, I mean it's harder. I mean in many cases, I feel what we're doing is much simpler. Like if you're Nike or Adidas, like you're competing with the best people in the world. People love the brands from start and you're going to take the brand from a position of being super loved into being super, super, super loved. Like, how are you going to do that? That actually requires something. But digging yourself out of the complete mud and mess that the financial industry has put themselves in, that's not rocket science. Because I believe that in the financial sector and what you said that you wanted to disrupt is the unwritten rules of what you can do within terms of marketing. What was the reaction of all your customers and I guess in the banking industry in general? How did they react to this very kind of distinct marketing? I mean, I think it's very welcome. Again, you see in all the research that people feel that banks almost live on another planet. Like they have no understanding of how the modern world works, what people like, what they dislike, how they want to be treated, that they're not stupid. So just doing things in a new and modern way, I think, is really welcome. I think what's important to say is that at the base of everything, you have to have a kick-ass product. I see too many startups and too many other companies that have shaky products or shaky customer support or shaky deliveries in general, and they try to market themselves out of that position, and that is just not possible. But with Klarna, we have such a stable base, almost a fan base of consumers already, to elevate the marketing into the next step and really create something that people like and want to take part of is just extremely important. And one of our biggest challenges challenges but also biggest strategies is really to come much closer to the everyday life of people come much closer to what people really love and what people talk about so that to me is probably the biggest challenge like in the most hated industry in the world can we take a brand and not only make it okay or likable but actually lovable can we make people talk about us in a good way around the dinner table can we make jay-z write rap lyrics about us can we make conan o'brien make jokes about us like getting into that kind of pop cultural love that is the big thing that that we're trying to do do you feel like you've succeeded with that no far from it's really really hard work and and that is also what i keep trying to at least infuse into my team on the marketing side, we're not competing with the other banks or the other fintechs or the other whatever card companies. We're actually competing with the Nikes and the Gillettes and the Oreos and the Burger Kings and McDonald's of this world. Like, how can we create something that is as interesting, as lovable, as likable as them in order to, to deserve a seat at the table with the others? So that is a huge challenge and we're far from done. But with that being said, we're also light years ahead of the other financial banks and brands. And you see that also in everything from like the trust service that are being made. Like we're really separated from everyone else. Whilst the bank are at the bottom of the trust service that are being made. I mean, in the Nordics, we're top 10 every single year. So that, that's an interesting piece of information as well. 
And uh, you mentioned that you do the opposite of the banks and that that's pretty easy. And then you said the color blue, so you went pink. And uh, I love pink. There's way too little pink in the world. It's just a beautiful color in my view. Um, but it's, I mean, obviously associated with something feminine. And having worked with uh, gender stereotypes and bias as a profession for the past four years, I know that people and brands are very iffy about using that color. And in my presentations, for example, whenever I use pink, I'll get comments from, I'm sorry to say, mostly men in the audience pointing out that I should avoid pink because I come off as not serious. Mm -hmm. Why did you choose to embrace and use the color? I get that comment a lot. Yes, exactly. So why did you choose to embrace and use the color pink? And have you made any reflections on the feminine aspect of it, which, I mean, I guess you, you have. Yeah, I mean, coming back to what I said, it is the opposite of blue. And that comes not back so much to the marketing side of our business, but more how we are as a company and how our founder is and how we work as a management team. Because our company is basically found on the principle that we were told that this cannot be done. And we said, screw you guys, we're going to try it anyway. Like that is how we came up with all of our products in the beginning. That is still how we create a lot of our products nowadays. Uh, when people tell us that probably can't be done or that is not how you should do things, we get very aggravated and frustrated and energized. And that is the thing that really sparks us. So when people keep telling us like, you shouldn't be pink, you shouldn't look like this, you should wear a suit and a tie and you should be more boring or serious or whatever they say, that just gets us going. <laughs> so, so the pink is really the rebellious middle finger to many of the other players in the market. And we get a lot of comments around the pink. Like it's, it's quite market dependent. But if you look at the German market, for example, they are not ready for a pink bank in that <laughs> sense. Um, so I get a lot of comments and I also sometimes doubt myself like, okay, should we do an exception for the old boring German man and become black or blue? That's what they want, black or blue or metallic or whatever. But then again, I come back to the fact that when people keep telling us you shouldn't do it, that can't be done. That is where we find our energy. So it's just nowadays it's almost more now it's more a statement than a strategic choice, in my opinion. And then again, I think it's crazy that there are no more female oriented financial companies out there. Like it's crazy. It's crazy to talk about that as a segment. But if you do, it's the highest spending segment. It's the vast majority of our customers. I mean, not to be oriented towards females more. It's, uh, it's just a bad choice. So in that sense, I think we're being true to who we are and we're making a business-wide solid move. So I, there, there's no discussion to me about the pink. I love that. I find it so inspiring and I will just keep using pink in my presentations. Uh, I wore bright pink yesterday at my presentation for uh, 300 people in the oil industry. And I think that's kind of the rebellious middle finger as well to disrupt what is uh, currently now. So uh, cool. Um, yeah, you should. But, but it's also, I think, with the pink, the standards of industries are changing. And that's the interesting thing. Like if you look at how the world is changing, people rather take financial advice from Kylie Jenner than from a bank like the 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 standards and the uh, gateways of how different industries are run are changing so it doesn't have to be that if you're smiling you're a clown and if you're serious you you wear a suit like those kind of dynamics are shifting and i think that is really interesting to see in our industry trust is at the base of everything still what has changed is what is trust nowadays 
like you trust the Paradise Hotel hey. person. <laughs> That's what I mean. You trust them more than you would trust your bank uh, bank person. And, and that is an interesting dynamic that I think too few have thought about. And how are you leveraging that? I mean, do you feel like we should use more, obviously, non-experts in these kinds of things to deliver advice? Or, I mean, how do you really solve that? Because that can also be really dangerous, right? Yeah, that can be dangerous. And I don't want to go into the advice part of it because I probably don't think that the Paradise Hotel person has so much financial advice to offer. Exactly. But with that being said, I do think think that there have been some old truths in the industry that we want to break, which is we can be energetic, we can be pink, we can have fun, but still be the safest and most serious and professional company in the industry. Like those dynamics I want to change. Uh, and you see that like in the way we specifically in the way we market ourselves, like you wouldn't see any of our competitors have Snoop Dogg as their spokesperson in a big global campaign, right? It's a, it's a different thing. But again, Coming back to people seem to be trusting Snoop and what Snoop says more <laughs> than many of our competitors. It's a crazy world. Exactly. And we, we, we need to be as crazy as the world. Oh, okay. Well, that's dangerous. <laughs> but uh, I kind of like that. And we have obviously need to discuss Snoop Dogg because it was you and your team's idea. How on earth did you one day realize that, hey, you know, we should have a controversial, world famous rapper from L.A. to be the new face of our brand? Well, we have, obviously, we have a huge and serious and uh, professional strategy behind it. <laughs> but I mean, there, there are many things at play here. What I think a lot of brands underestimate, especially the older brands, maybe not so much the new brands, but a lot of companies, they confuse what they want to tell the market and what the market wants to hear. It's like the main, like the, the main task of marketing, at least at Klarna at the moment, is to get people to listen to what we have to say. And I think if we would just talk about the products themselves, especially in the financial industry in general, like invoices, payments, credit cards, APRs, those are not interesting things. Like the internet won't stop for a couple of seconds and say, hey, tell me more about your invoices. Like that has never happened before. Mm -hmm. So you have to be super creative. You have to use heavy hitters. You have to have somewhat of a budget nowadays in order to actually make people stop for five seconds of their everyday life and say, hey, you've got something I want to listen to. And not only listen to, hey, you've got something that I want to call my friends, my mother, my brother about and tell them about. None of the other financial players or fintechs have anything remotely close to that. So when looking at we could have obviously gone for many different choices beyond Snoop and beyond that campaign. But what we did manage to do as a company that hasn't really been done before, in our industry at least, is make big parts of society hold up and say, hey, what the hell is going on here? What kind of company is this? What is Snoop doing with a bank? I better take 10 seconds of my very, very busy life and listen to what they have to say. And when that door is opened, then it's easy to talk, start talking about your proposition, what you want to do, what you offer the market. But so many companies start at the other end just saying hey let's talk about our proposition and the problem is not even their closest families are listening to that like look at most of the youtube channels of big companies they have 60,000 employees and they have 166 views on their <laughs> like it doesn't add up so what we're trying to do with the big campaigns that we're doing and we have so many initiatives going on but that is actually like make the spotlight of the internet turn to Klarna for a couple of seconds so that we can tell the world 
the amazing things that we have ongoing. Because we have amazing things ongoing. And I think there are a billion companies that have amazing things ongoing. Their biggest problem is no one is ever going to listen to them. So grab their attention with something shocking or unexpected. But then you mentioned marketing budget. And I want to get into that because I can imagine that there was a crazy marketing budget involved in getting mm. Snoop Dogg. And I imagine that most startups, uh, ourselves included, can't afford a name of that size to champion your brand. Now, what did you learn from the process and what is the advice that you have to startups or any company that can't match that kind of a marketing budget, but still would like to be bold in a similar way and kind of make a surprising statement that engages or inspires mm. people to listen to what else they have to say? If there was gen advice I would obviously be <laughs> handing it out maybe not for free but just handing it out in general there, there often is no general advice but I think like a rule of thumb is that there are two levers you can pull in order to get attention can I have shitloads of money or shitloads of creativity like those are the two big big levers you can pull and that is why if you look at Burger King what they're doing or all the fast food companies in the US at the moment they have both like they combine shitloads of money with extreme creativity. So that is where those are the two levers you have. If you look at the gambling companies online, for example, zero creativity, shitloads of money, like extreme mm -hmm. amounts of money, probably a hundred times the budget we have. And if you go down to like the, the, the startups, you will have to utilize the creative part and look for friction or piggyback on something or something that actually makes the internet go, hey, let me listen to what you have to say. But I mean, putting three self-produced educational videos out on your YouTube and, and then being disappointed that no one has watched them, that is just, uh, it's a waste of time. So if you have zero money, you have to have 100% creativity. And, and that is, I mean, that's always a fun challenge. Hmm. I read in an interview with a Swedish media brand that you encourage everyone to stop copying other people's marketing and start finding themselves. And I quote, there's no holy grail or magic formula to follow, which I think is interesting to say after what you just said. And building a startup myself where I'm in the middle of just this process, how do you find out if you have advice on this? What's unique? And with everything that exists out there today, because it feels like to at least a lot of us that everything's been done in some way or form, how do you know that what you're putting out there is uniquely unique? I, th that's obviously a difficult question, but I also think that creativity isn't about being uniquely unique. I think the ones that try too hard to be uniquely unique is just, uh, they're just failing. Like creativity is often just combining two things that haven't been combined before and putting them together in a new context. If you look at what we've been doing, it's like we're just combining finances and payments and banking with fashion, like with extremely high fashion, high produced things. That's the creativity. We didn't come up with payments. We didn't come up with fashion. It's just a combination of it. So I think if you really want to take the next step creatively, it's much more around like how can we combine two maybe previously forbidden things or industries or designs or ideas into something that is new. Coming up with something that's uniquely unique is uh, that is probably too hard. You, you need to be a scientist or something in order to do that. <laughs> people don't spend enough time on actually figuring out how to crack something. And, and that was my comment around the laziness of finding the Holy Grail, because there is no Holy Grail. Like, it's shit tons of hard work. And if you look at what we do marketing-wise, 
yes, Snoop is the most talked about things we do, thing we do, but, but that is only the tip of the iceberg. Like we do so many different things and try to R&D our way into success. So, so it was more a comment around the laziness of finding the holy grail. And I also get the question, so we want to do a Klarna. How do we do a Klarna? Like, ah, don't be this freaking lazy. Figure it out yourself. You, you will probably not be able to copy us in that sense. So that was more a comment on, on that, hmm. I guess. So in your view and uh, based on a lot of experience within the marketing world, how many years have you been in this world? In this world, I've been 36, but in the marketing yeah. <laughs> world, I've been for about 15, maybe. 15? Yeah. So in your view, has marketing changed in any way and in what way? This answer is very boring, but yeah, I think the, the, the tools have changed quite dramatically, but I think the purpose of marketing is quite unchanged. It is very much about like creating attention, creating a behavioral shift, creating preference. Those things at the heart of marketing, those are really there. But like the way in which you do that, they change almost on a weekly basis. And there's a new thing coming all the time. So that probably makes marketing quite hard at the moment. Like out of all these thousand things that we can do in order to get reach or create preference or create something for our brand, which ones do we choose? And then you end up choosing five of those, which means that you always get questions. Well, why aren't we doing this? Why aren't you doing that? And, and then you have to stick to your guns. And, and that is probably the hardest part of marketing at the moment. But the heart of marketing hasn't changed very much, in my opinion. But, but the tools to do marketing are amazing nowadays. So what would be your like top three tips for a marketing manager in terms of nailing their first marketing campaign? I mean, just being very, very clear on on the briefing. It's it's a boring answer again, but just the purpose of why you're doing what you're doing. Like most of the campaigns that are being done are being done because a boss told someone that we should do this campaign. Like there is no real purpose to the campaign. That's the first thing. And the second thing is obviously don't try to figure out what you want to say, figure out what people want to hear. It sounds super simplistic, but that's the biggest difference between brands that succeed and don't succeed. Brands that don't succeed, they are obsessed with getting their message out. These are our USPs. How do we talk about our USPs? Thing is, people don't care about your USPs. Like having Snoop dancing in front of the camera is easier in that sense. And then combining those two is probably the, the most important thing as well. And then the third part would be, the thing with marketing is it's not a science. Like so many other traits in a company are said, like if you look at finance, for example, like there is a law around how you do that. There is a, a formula for how you do that. Marketing is very much just about confidence. Did I know beforehand that Snoop was going to be a success? No. Could I have put Snoop, our products, banking and pink into a formula and that would have popped out success? No, it doesn't work like that. So you just have to have extreme amounts of confidence in yourself and what you're doing and pull through with things because it is not a science. Thank you. Uh, we are getting to our last question. And considering that we cover a lot of technology in this podcast, I wanted to ask you about the future of uh, marketing and uh, how you think about leveraging new, more kind of exciting or hyped up technologies to maximize your impact and awe. People have been talking about immersive marketing and VR and AR and you name it. What are your thoughts on this? What kind of technologies are you exploring, if any? And where do you predict technology has taken the art of marketing in in 10 years. So at the moment, as Klarna, we're, in, uh, we're investing quite heavily into AI, just really being able to 
chunk through loads and loads of data and data sets and finding patterns in those data sets in order to create better services, be more relevant and do that in real time. So that is obvious. It's not it's not a hidden secret, but, but that is something that I think will completely redefine how we can make marketing fantastic. That is one thing. The second thing is I think we've only seen the like first wave of this influencer thing. Influencers at the moment is very connected to good-looking women and men who wear something on a beach in Bahamas and, and photograph that and just get a lot of empty followers. But I do think that if you look at like really influential people, like within technology, within fashion, within do-it-yourself stuff, like another kind of influencer is on the rise in my opinion. Um, and that is something we're working a lot with. Like how do we actually find people who are really influential and not only inspirational. So I think AI and the influencer part is going to be affecting us heavily in the next couple of years, at least at Klarna. Do you believe in the VR shopping experience and the AR immersive experience? Or do you, do you kind of think that this might be a hype? I believe in the AR shopping experience to actually enhance your shopping experience when you are somewhere using your phone or whatever you want to use in order to get metadata or or however you want to use it the vr experience is like this is my personal opinion i don't believe as much in it i think it's quite clunky at the moment and vr means basically you step into a different world where i don't always think that people want to be ar is actually about enhancing the world that you're in which makes much more sense, especially when it comes to shopping. Uh, so the AR dimension of shopping, I do think is really important. But I also think that we've only just seen the beginning of social shopping, like being able to share shopping with your friends, being able to in real time get their opinions on different things, being able to see what your friends have bought or what people in your closeness have bought, creating different kinds of like looks and sharing those and like building groups around those with your peers I think that is a that is much closer mm. in time at least before people put on a VR helmet and immerse in a shopping experience. I don't that believe is in that. It's kind of science now. fiction, but um it's it's still cool to hear your opinions on it. Now we have three quick questions before we let you go. If you could give your 20-year-old self one piece of advice, what would you tell 20-year-old David? I probably would um, yeah, don't rush to the sea level. Like coming back to your first question. Um, I don't think that the CEO role is cut out for someone who's 29. Uh, that was probably not a mistake is a strong word, but but like there's a time and place for everything. Um, and the CEO role is just so boring that no 29-year-old should endure that. That was such an interesting answer that I have to ask a follow-up question. So would you do that differently? Would you have not become like CEO? Like I as a person, I love doing things. Like, I don't like general managers. I don't like all the HR, like all the fluffiness that comes with the CEO role. I think that people almost on the decline of their career should do that. Like, you need a lot of experience. You maybe need to have lost track on the actual craft. For, for a 29-year-old who loves doing marketing and advertising and working with ideas and creativity and being close to the projects, being close to the clients, you don't want to fill up your calendar with a lot of shit. Like people don't realize the CEO role is just, it's a lot of stuff and a lot of negativity and like all the problems come to the CEO. Yes, you do have the highest title of the company, but that fun is over after about two weeks. So that is actually something I would say. Don't rush that. 
Sobering advice. So what's your favorite uh, podcast or could you recommend a podcast, a blog, a book or anything to our listeners? Within the marketing sector, I always think he's more of an entertainer, but I think uh, think Rory Sutherland is doing a fantastic job and is thinking around marketing and the way that he actually positions marketing more as a psychological phenomenon rather than just this performance and growth marketing that it has become to some extent. So he is fantastic. I enjoy listening to him a lot. Cool. So where should people go to follow you, David? I'm actually quite bad at putting content out there. It's probably a personal trait, but I just hate bad content. And the internet is flooded with bad content. So I am very wary of what I put out. So I haven't built a huge following base in that sense because I I normally write a lot of stuff and then I look at it like this is shit or this is bland or this is not good enough. So I put stuff out maybe twice a year. So the answer is it's very hard to follow me because I don't have a big uh, digital impact. So this is interesting. Do you think that you've uh, provided good enough content today that you might share this episode? You have Maybe. to answer. I'll yes have to now. think about. It. No, but I think it's really hard, and I do think like one interesting thing with our time is that nowadays everyone has their own TV station, radio station. They have their own like newspaper in terms of a blog. Everyone shouldn't have that. Ninety-nine percent of people are boring or don't know what they're talking about. Um, and I don't want to be put in that group of people where people start thinking that, hey, this guy doesn't even know what he's talking about or he's boring. So I've been very restrictive with the amount of content I put out. So I'll have to listen to this episode first, probably, <laughs> before I spread the word. What do you guys think? He should share it. Yes. Yeah, good. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us today, David. It's been very interesting and inspiring, and I hope you feel the same. Thank you for having me. You're listening to Future Forecast. If you like this podcast and are wondering how you can support us, please take a second to give us a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts. It really helps. And if you have a friend or colleague you think might appreciate it, every share counts. Talk to you soon. 